I like, I like thinking about it like this. In the meantime, as you go home to Ramah, I like thinking about it like the great 21st century theologian, Dr. John Brugge thought about it. He said, he asked this question, should the Christian be a pessimist or an optimist? And he concluded this way, he said, though the Christian is both pessimist and optimist, for the Christian, the optimist predominates because he is focusing on the small picture, the little flock in his little corner of the world, the flock which is little now, but which will flow into a great multitude in heaven. There is so much wisdom there. As we start 2021, we can look at all of the things that are going on around us. We can get all worked up about that. And if we do, we will stop before we even start. But if we look at our little corner of the kingdom, what we are called to do right here, The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Here's a much more important thing, is it is the baptism of our Lord. And it's the Sunday when we think about how Jesus was anointed as our great King. And it's only appropriate then as we look to, as we think about that, that we look at the anointing of Jesus' father, David, and we learn a little bit through that how Jesus is our great anointed king. This is what we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely... The Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. 
Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is God's word. The old man's eyes flashed. It was a different kind of flashing for this old prophet. This time they weren't flashing with their normal passion and holiness for God. This time, Samuel's eyes flashed fear. He had become a different kind of man. Not just a tired, old, grizzled man, but a defeated man. Not just a man who had seen a lot in his life, but a man who had seen too much in his life. You can just imagine him as he's on the road to Bethlehem, thinking back on what had happened just yesterday. The Lord had come to him and said, I want you to get up and I want you to rise and anoint a new Messiah, a new king, a new Mashiach. And Samuel, in his anxiety... And his fear had interrupted the Lord. He said, Lord, I can't. If I go, the old Mashiach, the old Messiah, the old King Saul, he's going to kill me. Samuel must have thought about the heights from which he had fallen. He had been that little boy, that little boy who had gone and dedicated his life. He had left his hometown and he had dedicated his life ever since he was a little tyke to service at the Lord's tabernacle. Now as an old man, he wouldn't even leave his house. Wouldn't even leave Ramah. He had been that little boy who became the the model, not just a model, but in a sense, the model for what it means to be a word-believing child of God. There he had been in, in the tabernacle, and the Lord had called to him, and he had said, Speak, Lord, your servant listens. I mean, he knew that we sing hymns about this these days. Speak, O Lord, we say. He's the model of a humble believer who just accepts and believes God's word. But here, it's so different. Now he won't even let the Lord finish his sentence. He was not just a grizzled old man. He was a defeated old man. Wouldn't even leave his house. You know, 
we have to think about this with Samuel. We humans can easily get to this point. We've seen so much life that we've almost seen too much of it. The Lord, he, he diagnoses the problem in this for us. Did you catch it? It was his first words to Samuel. He asked Samuel, how long, O Lord, how long, Samuel, are you going to grieve? His problem wasn't that he was sad. I've said this to you before here at Peace. I'm saying it here again. Grief is appropriate in this life. If, if we're not grieving this life, if we're not troubled by ourselves and this world in this life, then we are spiritually psychotic. We have a spiritual pathology. There's so much to be sad about in this life. Sadness and grief was not the problem. The problem was the length of it. How long will you mourn? How long? The grief was unbounded. See, he became a man who was not just sad, he was despairing. He was not just grieved, he was hopeless. There's a tension in the Christian life that we can explore with Samuel, and I think we should. I'll tell you this, I, I love it when Christians grieve in a godly way about this life. In fact, I love, I love meeting 25-year-olds who have an old soul. Like they have a 70-year-old soul inside of them. In fact, if you think about it, you realize that's part of the purpose of the Holy Scriptures. The part, of, part of the purpose of the Holy Scriptures is to make you an old soul. <laughs> so you can get beyond your own narrow experience, your own narrow life, and you can receive the wisdom of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of life and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories so that we can pack inside of you the stories of, of Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and Mary and, and Elizabeth and, and Samuel. Samuel had grown to be an old man who had found out that his kids would not be his salvation. They were his biggest pains. Samuel grew to be an old man who saw that you can vanquish one enemy, and if you do, there will be another one in its place. Samuel had grown to be this old man who had anointed what he thought was going to be the Messiah, the great king for God's people, and that Messiah, Saul, had turned out to be his greatest disappointment. And so there's these tensions that we Christians have when we take these things in. King Solomon fingered the tension. The great wisdom teacher once said, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. And sometimes what you can do is you can look so much at the sin 
and the death and the seeming irreversible conditions attached to it that you despair of a Messiah altogether. And when you do that, all the other dominoes fall. You become a person who knows not just that a lot of people lie, but you become convinced that there are, in fact, no truth-tellers. You become a person who is so full of grief over losing someone that you love that you become convinced that there is no significant relationship in the future where you can serve. You become a person who is so convinced that nothing that you can do is going to matter, that you don't even do anything at all. You just stay home in Rama. Sometimes it even happens to old prophets like Samuel. And so the Lord intervened. He said, Samuel, get up. There's still Messiah. Samuel gets up. He fills his horn with oil. He goes to Bethlehem. The elders of the town come up to him. They're trembling. They're frightened. Samuel wasn't a guy to mess around with. They're wondering, is the old prophet going to bring a judgment down on this town? Is the old prophet going to bring us some kind of prophetic rebuke? They're trembling before him. Samuel says, I'm just here for sacrifice. Will you come? Prepare yourself. Sanctify yourself. They did. Jesse and his sons come. And that's when it starts to get interesting because Samuel knew I was there. He was in there to anoint the Messiah, the king, the salvation, the hope of God's people. And Eliab, the first son of Jesse, steps out. <laughs> and Samuel is excited. I mean, he is blown away. Eliab steps out. He is strong. He is a dominant figure. He can take care of their enemies. It's Eliab. He knows it's Eliab. He says to himself, surely the Messiah, the King, God's chosen one, it's, it's Eliab. I know it is. <laughs> it's an amazing scene. Shocking in a way. I mean, two seconds ago, we saw Samuel in Bethlehem. He can barely get out of bed. Now he's in Bethlehem, and he is just overwhelmed with optimism. He goes from this utter despair, there is no Messiah, to grasping on to the wrong Messiah. From complete pessimism to unbridled optimism. <laughs> Such is the sin in the human heart. Such spiritual whiplash. Two seconds ago, we might think there is no hope of God ever entering the world through the Messiah again. Two seconds later, we are glomming on to the wrong one.
a few years ago, I used to get excited for spiritual activity when I noticed that people were emptied out of this life, when they were world-weary. I used to think they're ready. They get it. That's what I used to think. And I was half right. You know, when, when you're empty of yourself and you get it, you can't save yourself. When you're empty of this life and you get it, there's got to be more than this life. When, when you're empty of all that stuff, then you're ready. You're ready for Jesus. Jesus is, is the Messiah. And I used to think when I came across people like that, they're empty, they're, they're sad, they're world beat, they're ready for Jesus. I used to think that, and I was only half right. Because the truth is, when you're like that, you're not just ready for Jesus. You are also ready for every other false Jesus. This is a story that fits a whole spiritual genre of stories. It is the story of an old prophet who is despaired of everything and gloms onto the first Messiah he thinks exists. It is the same story of a person who goes through 2020 and thinks that 2021 is the solution. It's the same story of my cousin who couldn't beat a sin and then a false gospel came into his life and he threw his faith away. It's the same story of the lady who once sat in my office beaten by alcohol and alcoholism who went to AA and traded her alcohol for adultery. It's the same story. See, the deal is when, when we're beat, when we're low, when we're empty, we are ready not just for Jesus, but we are also ready for everything. This world know it, by the way. That's why there are ambulance chasers. <laughs> That's why there are people on TV peddling their false gospels. Politicians have the playbook. Show the people their despair. Blame everybody else for it. And then promise them the world. Sometimes even old prophets fall for it. But the Lord wasn't going to leave him in his unbridled optimism either. <laughs> the Lord said to him, Samuel, I don't look at that stuff. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel, you may think you know who the Messiah should be. Samuel, you may think you know what the problems are. Samuel, you may think you know what needs to be done right now, but you don't. But the Lord does. You know, and the Lord, <laughs> did you notice this? I, I think this is the only recorded biblical instance of a male beauty pageant. You know, he... He brings Eliab out onto the stage. 
Not him. He brings Abinadab out. <laughs> Not him. He brings Shema out. Not him. Four more times. Not him. Not him. Not him. Not him. And Samuel, I got to tell you, was no biblical ignoramus. He knew what seven meant. Seven is the biblical per number of perfection. There, this was supposed to be all the sons, all of the possible messiahs that could come from Jesse. All of them were there, and none of them was the one. He knew what the Lord was saying. Every messiah you think it might be, that's not it. Isn't it magnificent? How the Lord, he just brings us to this place. That's not it. That's not it. Not him, not him, not that, not that. Is there anything left? I love Jesse in this scene. Jesse's asked by Samuel, do you have any more sons? This is it. Jesse goes, I got one more, but he's the run. I didn't even bring him. I, I forget his name. <laughs> he's out tending the sheep. This was God's Messiah. I love what happens when they bring him in. We get the sight of him. He's, he's ruddy, which means he was sunburned. He was a hard worker. And apparently he was a good-looking guy. He's a beautiful savior. The Lord had him in his heart all along. And when David walks in, the man after God's own heart, the right Messiah, see, Lord said, this is my Messiah. Samuel, you anoint him. See, and when he did, the Holy Spirit, the Hebrew text says, rushed at him. The Lord was empowering David to be the great Messiah of God's people. Like father, like son. Maybe you're wondering, as we've gone through this, why we're picking this up here on this Sunday when we're thinking about the baptism of Jesus. I'll tell you why. Because it's like father, like son. Jesus is the son of David. Like father, like son. And all of the scriptures, they mount up, they climb, they apex, they peak in Jesus. All the scriptures leading up to it help us understand better who God's Messiah, his ultimate Messiah finally is. See, if you look at the scene, here's what you see. You see that when God reveals his Messiah to you, how's he going to do it? He's going to do it by calling a great prophet, Samuel, to anoint him. He's going to do it by saying to Samuel, 
this is my guy. He's going to do it when the anointing happens by causing the Holy Spirit through the anointing to rush at the anointed one and empower him for his Messiah, his Messiahship, for his work of saving God's people. See, like father, like son. The greatest prophet ever besides Jesus Christ himself, is John the Baptist. He anoints Jesus in the Jordan River. And the Lord doesn't just tell Samuel, this is my guy. He tells the whole world. See, at Christ's baptism, he says, this is my son, world. This is the one. He may, you maybe think he's just a runt. You maybe think he should be off in some back pasture. No, this is the Messiah. And when he's anointed, it's not just that the Holy Spirit rushes at him. No, this time the Holy Spirit comes on this Messiah in bodily form to empower him. For his work of saving God's people, like father, like son. What was David doing until he was anointed? He was tending the sheep. What was Jesus doing from eternity? He was tending the sheep. What was Jesus anointed to do? <laughs> Just like David, he was anointed to tend sheep. People with sheep-like hearts who, one second, they have all of this grief and all of this defeat in their hearts. People who, another second, are glomming on to the wrong Messiah. Jesus came to tend them. And do you know how he did it? Neither with unbridled grief, saying they're not worth it, it's not going to work. Nor with unbridled optimism, like this is going to be easy. No, he tended sheep. He got ruddy, he got sunburned to become our beautiful Savior and it started right there in the waters of the Jordan when he was anointed to do it. He was right there baptized into all of our sins so that we could be baptized into his saving work. Well, Samuel went home. It's not a little throwaway line at the end of the story. He went home to Ramah. He went home a different man. He went home neither in his unbounded grief, as if nothing would ever change, nor with unbridled optimism, like this is going to be easy now. Because his hope was tied to the Messiah. 
He knew that one day that David would finally sit on his throne, but it was going to be rocky until he did. But it was going to happen. So he went home to Ramah and he got back to work. And that's what you get to do today too. Go home to Ramah today. But go home different. Go home not in your unbounded grief at everything that's going on, but with the Messiah. Not with unbridled optimism that just because Jesus has been anointed, there's not going to be a lot of rocky things coming up. He will sit down on his glorious throne. He will restore all of God's creation. He will. It might be rocky until he does. I like, I like thinking about it like this. In the meantime, as you go home to Ramah, I like thinking about it like the great 21st century theologian, Dr. John Brug, thought about it. He said, he asked this question, should the Christian be a pessimist or an optimist? And he concluded this way. He said, though the Christian is both pessimist and optimist, for the Christian, the optimist predominates because he is focusing on the small picture, the little flock in his little corner of the world, the flock which is little now, but which will flow into a great multitude in heaven. There is so much wisdom there. As we start 2021, we can look at all of the things that are going on around us. We can get all worked up about that. And if we do, we will stop before we even start. But if we look at our little corner of the kingdom, what we are called to do right here, what we are anointed to do, that changes everything. I like what Dr. Brugge said about it. He said, the Christian is not distracted from focusing on his task, gathering the little flock one by one. I am only one person, he says, but I am one person, and I can do something. And what I can do, I should. And what I should do, by the grace of God, I will do. And what I might add is this little article of faith. What we end up doing for Jesus will matter, because we are doing it for Jesus, and his kingdom lasts. I want to close this way. I'm going to get out my little drum in 2021. And I'm going to start banging it. And you can either choose to follow me or you can choose not to. But I want to tell you what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to focus on what I'm called to do. I'm going to be a husband. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. And I'm not going to worry about anything else. Why not? Because I have a Messiah. And that is his job. And it is not mine. I am going to let him do what he is in fact 
anointed to do. And by the way, he is overqualified for his job. He has risen from the dead. And so I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. After all, I was also anointed just for that. And dear Christian, I might remind you, you were too. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being the kind of God who is so intent to reveal the Messiah to us. The Messiah who is truly after your own heart, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for revealing him to us in the waters of the Jordan River by the prophet, by the anointing, by the spirit, by your voice from the heavens. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Help us to trust him with the work that he is anointed to do and empower us by our anointing, by our baptism, to do what you have called us to do. In the name of the great Messiah, I pray.